Welcome to the Tucson Center of the International Society for Christian Consciousness. <clears throat> Founder Acharya is His Divine Grace. E.C. Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada. This is our Srila Prabhupada. Present with us, always. <clears throat> so sometimes this word Dharma, Sanskrit word Dharma is used. And loosely it's translated as religion. But Dharma has a deeper, also subtler meaning beyond just the English word religion, which we're accustomed to. Uh, generally, the English word religion is used in a, more or less a material sense. Uh, I'm this religion, I'm that religion, because I was born in this religion. A lot of times, a lot of cases, the meaning of religion is tied up in the bodily identification, which is not actually the meaning of religion. Uh, according to Srimad Bhagavatam, the Lord there explains in the sixth canto, Dharmam Dushokshot Bhagavat Pranitam, that Real religion or religious principles is that dharman to shakshat bhagavat pranitam bhagavan given by God. It's actually given by God. It is not created by human beings who are actually conditioned souls. But God is not a conditioned soul. He's the supreme soul, or as we like to say, the supreme personality of God, Krishna's to Bhagavan Shaya. The Supreme Lord, Supreme Owner and Controller of everything. That is God, Bhagavan. Bhagavan means opulences. And Vaan means one who possesses. So the various opulences include knowledge, strength, wealth, uh, renunciation, uh, among other things. Um, so everyone has some... <laughs> tiny little portion of opulence. Someone has a lot of money, he thinks he's very rich, but then someone else may be, may be more knowledgeable, or more stronger, or more beautiful. These are all the various opulences. But Bhagavan means that person, and God is a person, the supreme person, who possesses all the opulences in full. So no human being or conditioned soul can claim to possess all the opulences in full. There's always someone better at something than even the greatest uh, person in the material world. So this is one definition, a technical or scientific definition of God. That personality who is greater than all other personalities, uh, and he is also called in Sanskrit asamordhva, which means that no one is equal to him and no one is greater than him. That is God. Not an ordinary material person like us material persons in this material world. Although actually our real identity is not material. Our real identity is spiritual. But because we identify so strongly with this material body, and the matter that surrounds us in the cosmic universe, 
we identify so closely with that that we think we're a product of matter and that we are material. Who knows what that's called? Maya. Maya. That which is not. We think we're this body, but we're not this body. This body will live um, maximum 100 years. Maybe a few more years than that. And then it is finished. Death will take one away. So uh, the soul, however, is eternal. And there's a distinction between the the body and the possessor of the body. That is the soul, the possessor of the body. It's like the driver of the car. So if you're driving your car and someone else's car scrapes against your car, you say, oh, you hit me. He didn't hit you. He hit, his car hit your car. This is an analogy to understand that we are not the car, but the driver of the car. So this body in Bhagavad Gita is explained as a vehicle. It's a machine made of material energy. And we are the uh, energetic, powerful source of that machine, the soul. Actually, the soul is more brilliant than 10,000 suns. But right now, we, we don't see that. And if you go to any university and you want to understand about the soul, then they have this little game they play. I want to understand the soul. I want to understand the truth. Ah, yes. Go to the religion department. Okay, you go to the religion department and they say, all right, I want to understand the soul, the truth. Well, we can tell you about the different religions, but if you're really seeking the truth, then you can go to the philosophy department. So you go to the philosophy department and the philosophy professor lights up his pipe says, well, that's a, that's a deep question, my boy, but I'm afraid I don't know the answer. We can only speculate, but no man can know the truth, although everyone tries, which is a pronouncement as if it were knowledge, but actually it's just a smokescreen, both literally with his pipe and figuratively with his ignorance. So people are professing to have knowledge but actually they don't know, who am I? Why am I here? What is my mission? What is my goal in life? What is my real occupation? And very importantly, why am I suffering? And how can I become happy, free from suffering? These are the important questions. And these questions are answered uh, very concisely and in great depth as well in the Vedic literature. So if you want concise spiritual knowledge, the best thing to do is to read Bhagavad Gita, which was spoken by Krishna when he appeared on this earth 5,000 years ago. Actually, he's constantly appearing in uh, different incarnations in every age. And those incarnations are unlimited, like the waves of the ocean. You stand on the shore of the ocean, something we don't do a whole lot of here in Arizona, but elsewhere you can. And the waves just keep coming, coming, coming. You can't count those waves, they're unlimited. So the Lord appears so many times, so many ways, so many places throughout um, the duration of the cosmic universe. 
which is very, very old according to Vedic cosmology. There's a complete cosmology contained in the Vedic literature also. So the universe has a certain duration, a certain half-life, uh, a cycle that it goes through. Actually, right now we're about halfway through the current cycle of one day of Brahma. And we're also about halfway through the lifetime. Which is four billion three hundred twenty million years. <laughs> like precise scientific terms. So this question comes up: What is what is religion? What is the meaning of religion? And then people want to know more scientifically: Like, what can I do to achieve perfection? Because religion means perfection in relation to God, and that we want to know. That is a natural inclination of the soul. Because now we're in ignorance. But we our intuition tells us that um, there, is some, there are some answers beyond our current state of ignorance. So we need to go to the proper source to find the answers. So in, in the Mahabharata, which is a Sanskrit work that is about 100,000 shlokas or verses long. There is one small part of that is the Bhagavad Gita, 700 verses, concise. Uh, very technical, very philosophical, explaining the meaning of, of who we are, what we are, and why we are, and what is our business, uh, how to attain freedom. So there's a statement in the Mahabharata that says, Tarko Pratishta Shutayomina, Nishabrashir Yasham Matam Nabinam, Dharmasya Tatvam Nihitam Guharyam, Mahajano Yenikata Sapanta. That there are so many persons who like to argue. Uh, I've met such persons for a long time, like then Hare Krishna. Devotee for a long time, and we seem to always encounter argumentative persons. But simply by arguments or speculation, Tarko, Pratishta, Shruta Yoga, Bina, one cannot really understand the truth simply on the basis of arguments. Nashavrishir, Yasha, Matamna, Bina, and one is not truly considered a, a Rishi or a great philosopher. Unless he can speculate and have a philosophy that's different than every other philosophy. So that is also inconclusive. So how to understand the truth, which in Sanskrit is called tattva. Dharmasya tattvam nihitam guhayam. That that truth, the real truth of religious principles is hidden. Where is it hidden? Nihitam guhayam. Within the heart of the self-realized devotee. <coughs> Such a devotee is our Srila Prabhupada, uh, who worked so tirelessly throughout his life to spread the Krishna consciousness movement and finally achieve some success very late in life. He came to this country at age 69, poverty-stricken, unhealthy, not knowing anybody, yet he managed to launch this International Society for Krishna Consciousness and spread it all over the world in the 12 years that he had left, beginning from when he came here to the U.S. Just so happened he came at a very 
opportune moment. The Vietnam War was going on, the young people were all rejecting uh, the materialistic values of their families, of their parents, of society, and looking for something, some meaning, deeper meaning, something better, something higher. They were not satisfied with the status quo. And Srila Prabhupada, even before that began, many decades previous to that in India, he knew these Western people, they're so educated, and they're so wealthy. They have such nice lives, yet they're not satisfied with their material civilization. He knew that somehow, because Krishna enlightened him from within. And he knew that if he came to America, then the Americans would be ready to hear something better, a spiritual insight that was uh, missing in their lives. We were just hearing how when Srila Prabhupada came to London for the first time in 1969, and the devotees had been uh, spreading Krishna consciousness. They had a hit single, the Hare Krishna Mantra, that was produced by Apple Records and George Harrison, the Beatles. And they were in the newspapers all the time, every day there were articles, they were playing gigs, the Radha Krishna Temple Band, chanting Hare Krishna. They were on the tops of the pops, which was the big like music TV show in England at the time. And then Srila Prabhupada came amidst great expectations. And the reporters, you know how reporters are very like cynical and they snap off their questions. And, and the reporter said to Srila Prabhupada, Why have you come here? Challenge. And Prabhupada said, To teach you what you have forgotten. Or said, what is that? Taking it back. Prophet said, that is God. <laughs> right into the heart of the material, the bastion of the material civilization, the great British Empire, which is the formal, former colonial master of India. <laughs> it was a great victory. Britain had conquered India, now the Krishna consciousness movement. And his philosophy was conquering the one. And Christian conscious movement is very, very strong in, in England. Very strong, very powerful. Of course, they have a huge Indian population now for Krishna. That doesn't hurt. And they're all, you know how Indians are, they're all professionals. <clears throat> very successful, very intelligent, very learned. And they're pious. They have a heart of bhakti love for Krishna. It's built into their culture. <clears throat> so dharma If you want to understand the real truth of the religious principles, then you need to come into contact with the devotee of Krishna. And this Krishna consciousness movement is representing Srila Prabhupada and the spiritual knowledge he is giving, which tells us what we have forgotten. We have forgotten about God and all our success of our material civilization, which is now spread all over the world. That's a very nice disease that takes over the body. The material culture of the West is spread all over the world. Everyone is very eager to take it up. But the real happiness, as taught by Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, not comes from external arrangements for material sense gratification, which we have in abundance now. 
But the real happiness is attainable when one goes within. It is not external. It is within oneself. Because God is also with us. He's in our hearts. <clears throat> Actually, he knows everything you think. He sees everything you do. He knows all your desires. He knows all your hopes. He knows all your cheating and rascaldom, of which the conditioned souls, we are all very expert at that, unfortunately. So the, the pure soul who is not covered by this uh, consciousness of trying to enjoy this world is of servant. That is the real psychology of the soul. And we see this manifest um, even under ordinary material conditions. Anyone as a parent? Please raise your hand, whoever's a parent. So whoever's a parent, you have children, what do you do? Children are born, you raise them, you serve the children. You have to serve the children. The husband is serving the wife, the wife is serving the husband. They're both serving the children. It is a natural propensity. Actually, it is said that the closest thing to love for God that we see in the material world, that selfless love is the love of the mother for the child. That's the closest thing. But then even that becomes uh, vitiated, contaminated, especially if the children don't live up to the parents' expectations. I want my children to be this. I want my son to be the president of the United States. And they become very disappointed if the children say, no, I just want to chant Hare Krishna, develop my love for God, and go back home, back to God when this body is finished. And the parents You become a doctor, a lawyer. You become very successful. And then when you're rich, you can take care of me. It's like, I took care of you. So there's some motivation there. But that is the closest thing to the pure love. And service, this concept of service on the spiritual platform, means service without reward, service without expectation, selfless service in love. And that is the pure condition of the soul in relation to the Supreme Soul, the Lord, God himself. And there is another world beyond this cosmic world, this temporary world of illusion, where, where we have taken shelter now, that is called the spiritual world. And in the spiritual world, there are many thousands and thousands and millions and trillions and unlimited souls, like ourselves, who are not encumbered by material inebrieties, lust, anger, greed, illusion, madness, envy, all the things that plague us as conditioned souls. The liberated souls in the spiritual world, they have no such business. They're only interested in one thing, loving and serving the Supreme Lord. It is a relationship of love and service. And that relationship is so nice that when one becomes situated in that relationship of love, one becomes complete. 
One doesn't require anything external to satisfy oneself. One is not interested in the satisfaction of the senses. Rather, on the spiritual platform, there are pure spiritual senses, which are constantly engaged in the service of the Lord. And it is so wonderful because even while living in this material world, we can begin to experience that spiritual love by taking to the science of Krishna consciousness and learning to develop our love of God. And by utilizing all of our senses, in the service of the senses of the Lord, instead of me trying to satisfy my senses, no, let me try to satisfy the senses of the Lord. And that is the secret, the unknown secret, the hidden truth of happiness. When one selflessly gives oneself to loving God, then one doesn't require very much from oneself. One changes one's focus, one's consciousness becomes beautifully transformed from material consciousness, I, me, mine, to spiritual consciousness, Hare Krishna. That means, Lord, let me serve you. Please engage me as your humble servant. And that is the true position of the soul. Now we can, we can explain also philosophically a little bit technical. The Lord is the supreme, and he's the supreme powerful. And he's in possession of different energies, which all engage in his service. And those energies can be divided into three basic categories. Vishnu, Shakti, Parapraka, Chaitragakya, Tathapara, Avidya, Karma, Samgyanya, Tachinir, Shakti, Ishitayya. God has his internal spiritual energy by which he manifests the spiritual cosmos beyond this dark and cold world. And under the influence of that internal potency, all the souls in the spiritual world are happily carrying out their existence, which is eternal. It's full of knowledge, there's no ignorance. And it's full of bliss, there's no misery or unhappiness. Satchit Ananda. That is the nature of the spiritual world. Sat, eternal. Chit, full of knowledge. Ananda, blissful. Kind of the opposite of the material world, which is what? Asa, temporary. Achit, full of ignorance. Nirananda, without happiness, but full of suffering. That is our experience in this material world. That's why the material world is such a bummer, because we are pure souls who possess this Satchit Ananda quality, and we're trying to carry out our life energy in a place where it doesn't work, where everything is the opposite. And therefore, we're frustrated. And then we die. Nobody wants to die. Whatever plans we have to enjoy our happiness doesn't include dying. 
but whether you have plans to not die or not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> because you're under the control of a superior energy. And that is another one of the Lord's energies. Maya. The material energy. Which manifests this cosmic world. And covers the pure spirit soul in such a way. Avidya karma samgaya. That the living entity thinks himself a product of matter. And he's subject to so much karma, action, reaction, all under the cloud of ignorance. Avidya. Vidya means knowledge. Avidya means ignorance. So this is our problem. We're eternal souls and we're trying to make things happen in the temporary world. And our parade is getting rained on. <laughs> that is the nature of our life. And so therefore we're always, that's why we're always questioning. Why? Why? You ever had someone close to you die? Why? Why did they die? Why that person? So innocent person. Why do they have to die? Well, the answer is that we're all in the same boat. And everyone has to die. And it just messes up our whole concept of happiness. <laughs> because we're eternal. That's why. So to once again re, uh, attain our eternal existence, that is our real goal. And that is accomplished through dharma or loving service. In Sanskrit, it's called bhakti yoga, connecting to God through loving devotion. That is the process. And actually, every religion, so-called religion in the world, is trying to do that. But generally, they don't understand the science very well, unfortunately. So just like the Dharma of water is its liquidity, that is its natural state, that is its position. So the Dharma of the soul is to Love God. Serve the Lord. With the body, mind, and words, which are the facilities, the faculties that we have in our possession. That is our real business. That is, and when we do that, we regain our natural state, our natural position. And the result of that is that we become happy. Ananda, uninterrupted happiness, that spiritual happiness. Not a little happiness, then a lot of distress, then a little moment of happiness, and a lot of distress following that. That's the way it goes in the material world. Everybody knows that. But what everybody doesn't know is that you can regain your spiritual consciousness. And then when you do that, you no longer need to stay in this material world. Because what's keeping us here is our desire to enjoy. And when we give up that desire to enjoy, and we learn to cultivate our desire to serve with love, then the material world no longer holds us. Maya, who is personified, says, oh, you want to go back to God now? <laughs> All right. I can't stop you from that. If you want to go, if you want to serve Krishna, you're free. Go ahead. But you want to enjoy? You stay. <laughs> <laughs>
She's empowered by Krishna. That's our service. <coughs> so just as the Dharma of water is liquidity and wetness, the Dharma or the natural position of the soul is to love and give. Not ordinary materialists would say, oh, yeah, come on, man. Love and give. I'm loving myself and giving myself. But the reason we love ourselves is because we're a part of Krishna. And that is the third energy of Krishna. There is the spiritual energy, the material energy, and then there's us, the living entities, the living souls who are characterized by consciousness and desire. We can go either way. We're not superior to those energies. We're marginal. That means that we can either engage in the service of the material energy, which is what everybody's doing, or we can engage in the service of the spiritual energy. It's a question of taking shelter. Where would you like your shelter to be? In the material energy or in the spiritual energy? Once you understand that you have a choice and that you can pursue taking shelter in the spiritual energy, even while living in this material world, one who engages, even while living in this material world, in the service of God, karmana, using one's working ability, one's activities, one's actions, Karmana, manasa, by one's mind. Gita, by one's power of speech. Then such a person, jivan mukta sa uchite, he's called liberated, even while living here in this material world. And at the end of this life, chaktwa deham punar Such a person goes back to the spiritual world and does not take mighty mami to he goes to Krishna. He goes home back to Ghana. Doesn't take birth again in this material world. Once you go there, that's it. Not coming back to this place. You know, once you move up out of the slums into the rich neighborhood, you don't move back to the slums. That's a crude analogy because in the material world, even the richest place is a place of torment for the conditioned souls, no matter how big your house in the foothills may be. All right, so we'll stop here. Thank you very much for paying attention and trying to understand this concept and philosophy of Krishna consciousness, which in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna characterizes this spiritual life as susukam kartamavinam. It's very blissfully performed. It is full of great happiness. And it is eternal and leads one to eternal platform of
they are in that eternal place where they are suffering. I'm not exactly sure of your question. Someone who's liberated. Like, will they still take on the suffering of the material world if they, you know, if they paid their dues and not coming back to the storms? Well, once you go back to God, you don't have a reason to come back here unless unless the Lord sends you on a mission. Such a person, a liberated soul, it's very rare, but Srila Prabhupada is one such liberated person. Actually, he, he revealed in one conversation that he said, Krishna told me to come down to the material world and write these books. And the devotee was stunned here. Prabhupada said that. Did he told you to come down and write the books? He said, yes. And I told Krishna, I don't want to go to that place. <laughs> the material world. So much suffering. So much austerity. Krishna said, no, 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 no. You don't have to do any austerity. You just write the books. <clears throat> Prabhupada struggled his whole life to preach Krishna consciousness and finally began producing the books late in his life. Um, and then sometimes he would be reading his books when they were published. And Prabhupada, you're reading your books? And Prabhupada said, I have not written these books. Krishna has written these books. These books are very nice. Krishna has dictated. I am just in the instrument. So it is worthy of taking shelter in the books of Sri Prabhupada to understand. Because the books are all about Krishna and service and technical understanding and philosophical understanding. That purifies the heart and leads us on the path directly back home back to God. So sometimes the liberated persons come as servants of the Lord, spreading the message of the Lord. Prophet gets the example of Lord Jesus Christ. Coming to spread the message of the Lord. And some of his contemporaries are not too happy about that, so they strung him up. You can't do that. Especially his fellow Jewish <coughs> society community members are very upset. What are you doing? Okay, anyone else? Students? No questions. I have no questions. Wait, wait. wait. Unless it's free. Give the students a chance. This okay. is the only time they ever come here. The first time they ever come here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you think of something later, you let us know. Okay, so we're, our time is passed. We'll stop here. And now we're going to have the RT. Uh, so the students can take notes. Uh, the Chinese dancing. Maybe, maybe and then after that, we'll have.